Let's get into uh, where we're going. Children are a gift from God. Yes? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Sermon over. (laughs) I might have another half hour of stuff I want to say to you. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to continue a little bit along this theme of this person I introduced to you back way back in 2009. His name was Jeffrey B. Adamson. Adam's son, okay? Adam's daughter, Jeffrey B. Adamson. Well, I'm going to put it up to the year of 1973, and there's a reason why I'm going to call it 1973. And in 1973, Jeffrey B. turned 25 years old. Um, It was an eventful year. I looked up information on 1973. Here's some fun facts for you in 1973. George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees for $10 million. It's hardly a player on his team that makes that little a year now. The last U.S. soldier left Vietnam. It's an era I certainly lived through. George Foreman beat Joe Fraser for the heavyweight title of the world. UCLA captured its seventh consecutive NBA basketball championship, seven in a row. Unbelievable. The first cell phone was developed, and it's not as small as the one you've got. It had a bag on this side and another bag on this side, and it weighed about 24 pounds. That was the first cell phone. There you go, guys. In 1973, Watergate happened. Do any of you remember that? Secretariat won everything. Most baseball pitchers in their professional career will never pitch a no-hitter. In 1973, Nolan Ryan, one of my cousins, has made sure I know his name is Warren. Nolan Ryan threw two that year. Unbelievable athlete. Two days before the end of the year in 1973, Congress passed the Endangered Species Act. I looked up one fact out of the Endangered Species Act, and it was this, that if you were to kill a baby eagle you would be imprisoned in federal prison for two years and have a quarter of a million dollar fine. Somewhat earlier in 1973, Roe v. Wade went through the Supreme Court, which said you could kill a child in utero and have no penalty whatsoever. Children are a gift from God. You may recall that sermon series I preached back in 2009. And in that series, I said that Jeffrey married his high school sweetheart, Catherine Serino. And I also told you that they had a baby. Their firstborn was a boy. What I never got to tell you, because this is just new stuff now coming up for today, is that that boy would eventually marry. And uh, his college sweetheart, her name was Allison. And today, Allison is, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. They had three children. One of those children turned 22 here in the year 2022, meaning she was born at the millennium. And this week, grandparents, Jeffrey B. and Catherine, have heard that their granddaughter, who is named after Grandma, who her name is Katie, is pregnant. Issue is, Katie is not married, and she finds she has an unwanted and unplanned child. What is she going to do about it? Well, it's 2022, and it's today. 
and the Supreme Court has rescinded Roe versus Wade. Her mother and grandmother maybe had a choice legally. Now what is she going to do? I want to read something to you that was in Newsweek magazine the week following the passing of Roe versus Wade from this is how that article started. The end of the war and the death of a president, that was Lyndon Johnson. The end of the war, Vietnam, the death of Lyndon Johnson got bigger headlines, but in a quiet way, a third event last week may have as lasting an influence on American life. Do you think that was prophetic? I think so. And then it also had this in the, as I looked up that reference, it was this. For all practical purposes, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion, saying that the termination of an unwanted pregnancy is between a woman and her doctor. Um, that's just some of the facts of things that are there. We can now see so clearly that Newsweek was correct. The decision on abortion would fundamentally change American society. Um, you probably all know my first degree was in history, and I did a great deal of it on the Revolutionary and Civil War history. And one of the decisions that came down that impacted the Civil War, that was one of the things that really almost kicked it off, was the Dred Scott decision. Do any of you remember that piece? Dred Scott was a slave. He was a black man. The Supreme Court, and probably as equally a horrible decision as, in my opinion, Roe v. Wade, said that, I'll summarize their huge big piece, a slave was not protected by the U.S. Constitution, and so they could not have any rights. A slave is a non-person. Yeah, that's a really bad decision. Just like an unborn child is a non-person. I was in, living in England when Roe v. Wade came down, and it didn't impact me at all. It didn't seem, I, as I reflect back on it, it didn't really didn't impact me whatsoever. Uh, I was a student, and I was studying Greek and historical theology every day. I mean, I was just too busy in my own studies. It did, didn't hit me. But in 1975, when I went to my first church, it became real because of some individuals in the congregation. In 2004, I want to be sensitive. I'm going to try to be as sensitive as I can, uh, and I hope I am. In 2004, uh, I had the privilege of going on sabbatical. And prior to going on sabbatical, knowing months in advance that that was going to happen, I had a box placed out in the foyer with a padlock on it and a stack of envelopes, and I asked people in the congregation if they wanted to write a letter to me and inform me about anything that they wanted me to pray for while I was gone. And I put this out there. I said, I'm going to open one letter a day. If I open your letter on the first day, you're going to get to be prayed for every single day for 16 weeks. If I open yours up on the day before I come home, sorry, I'm only going to pray for you once. It was really kind of a, and I, I, I really 
talked about that an awful lot for several months. And that box was filled with envelopes, scores of them. I told people they could write them to anonymously. I think I got one anonymous note in there. Everybody else signed their name. And what impacted me to this day more than anything else was how many of the women in my congregation at that time, and I had been there then for 16 years, I did not know, but they told me in way of a private note, had been raped, had an abortion. And it broke my heart that I didn't know. And I was saying things at times that was could maybe come across as not caring. Folks, I'm going to talk to you about how God loves us. God has a heart for children. His heart grieves for children that are killed. I just believe that. I want to take some time this morning to talk to you about what the Bible says about life in the light of the recent repeal of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. In this message, I want to ask and answer just one question. How does God view children? That's really where I'm going. And it's this question that goes with it. Are they a blessing or a burden? Oh, come on, I know that times they're a burden when they don't do what you want them to do and when they stay up too late at night and they're cranky the next morning. I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. You can tell an awful lot about society by the way it treats its children. Uh, in the Old Testament, while the pagans sacrificed their children to pagan gods, I don't know if I've got this up there. Yeah, I do. I do have the scripture up here. Uh, this has always been one of my favorite verses of Old Testament scripture. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. Okay, stop. The pagans did what with their kids? Sacrificed them to Molech. They burned their kids in fire. Come on, guys. I didn't do that with my firstborn who's back there. <laughs> Listen, O Israel, this is how the Israelites treated their kids. The Lord is, our, this is what they said to their kids, the Lord our God is the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road, you know, when they're in the back seat of the car, whatever. Talk about it. When you are going to bed and when you are getting up, in other words, it's the full circle, isn't it? In God's eyes, kids were important and we needed to instruct them and help them and show them a different way to go. God took seriously when he said to impress these truths on your children, to talk about them. Our children are gifts from God. We should treasure them and not make, take them for granted. Jesus declared, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And then he offered this very solemn warning. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me, to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. Because Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Amen. We should too. Well, with that as a background, I want to look at Psalms 127 and 128. I said that's where I'm really coming from this morning. 
these two short, uh, but basically I've given you background, but I'm already more than half done. Uh, those two psalms, well, I think, are placed together for a reason. They teach us how God feels and wants us to treat children. Children are gifts from God. That's, I believe that. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. Now, I think we, that's what the Bible says, sons, but I think it's daughters, too. I've got a daughter here today, so I better put sons and daughters, okay? We better have it that way. A friend of mine on Facebook put this piece up from Bishop Desmond Tutu this week, and I really liked it. I, I mean, I've read this, if I've read it once, I've read it 30 times because it just really hit me. You don't choose your family. They're God's gift to you as you are to them. That's a kind of a fun statement to me. You don't choose your family. They're God's gift to you as you are to them. The Lord Jesus loved little children, and so should we. Amen. Children are a heritage. And uh, a way of preserving the family into the next generation. I find it interesting with... Uh, one of my kids here this morning, I've got to say things like this, okay? I find that in many circles these days, I am now known as Krista's father. Uh, most circles, I am no longer John White. I am now Krista's father or Kara's father or Tim's father. Isn't it fun that things change a bit like that? Something has happened. I have been impressed through the years that I've worked up at New Hampshire Motor Speedway with those who have invested time, not spent, invested, there's a difference, invested time in the kids who come up and we should have them with the Pinewood Derby. So many, in my opinion, and I may be wrong, I'm probably wrong, many of the kids we see, it's the parents just want to get rid of them. And we have them and we try to show them Jesus' love and talk to them about who Jesus is. God bless those adults who show love like that, like our VBS workers did a week ago. Thank you, Mary, for leading them so much. To most of you know, when I have used the name a few times, but I better put it in context again. Uh, there was a pastor here in this congregation, not in this church when it was still over in Concord, uh, by the name of Kevin Hardy. You guys kind of know him pretty well. He's your son-in-law. But Kevin did a, an interesting job as a pastor. He really grew this church. And Kevin is someone I respect mightily. Oh, he does some crazy things. But any time you're trying to change the culture, you might do some crazy things. Kevin, if you follow him on Facebook, you can see this past week he did some crazy things. Uh, the way he was dressed up at children's camp, he went to their church, their district children's camp, and he was a counselor. And the way he dressed a couple of times was outlandish. Mm -hmm. I see a few heads nodding. You saw some of his posts. But Kevin said this, and I've written it down, what he put up on Facebook. When you do what God wants you to do, even when you would rather not, do you hear him saying, I really didn't want to go as a counselor to the children's camp? 
Man, have I said that myself a few times when I've gone as a counselor to children's camp and teen camp. You always get blessed. Serving as a children's camp counselor was a blessing. Being a counselor is like parenting in many ways. Take a shower, brush your teeth, clean up after yourself, laughing, joking, correcting, disciplining, teaching, training, investing, praying, and leading them spiritually by example and words. God moved, and this was a great week to spend with the next generation. And then the part that hit me square between the eyes, these boys need strong male influencers. If God is calling you to serve in children's ministry, please say yes. Not just the boys, the girls. We need strong influencers. The Lord Jesus Christ loved little children, and so should we. Children are like arrows that need to be sharpened and aimed. That's part of what's in that those verses we read. I think that most of you know that Tom Spaulding and I are both archers. We both shoot, and that's uh, how we hunt primarily. Whether you agree with us or not, sorry, we like venison. Amen, brother. Amen, brother is right. I think there's a couple of things I want to say about that, because it says it there in Scripture. One thing that Tom and I won't do is shoot with a bent arrow. If the arrow's crooked, it's not going to hit the mark. You're also not going to shoot at something unless you have a lethally sharp point on that arrow. And the Scripture is saying that children need to be like arrows. They need to have be sharpened. They need to be guided, and they need to be shot at the right target. We need to know where we are going with them. I want to ask you the question, you know, there's a scripture verse. What are you aiming at? Those of you who still have kids at home, what are you aiming at? Or grandparents, what are you aiming at with your grandkids? Where are you going with the things you are encouraging to do? Too many Christian parents are playing defense with their kids, in my opinion, rather than offense. Playing defense is hoping your kid won't do drugs, won't do alcohol, won't sleep around, won't be a discredit to you. Hoping that might not happen, rather than playing offense and uh, teaching them how to change the world for Jesus Christ. We ought to pray that our kids would be impact players for Jesus Christ. Julie and I have told the story, and some of you have heard it. I don't think I've ever said it like in this setting. Uh, Back when our middle child, Kara, graduated from high school, our kids all did reasonably well academically, and Kara was right up there at the top of her class. And the night of before graduation, the, her best friends, who were the valedictorian, salutatorian, and, and class essayist, they all went out to a party somewhere. And as they were coming home, they saw the notice board out in front of Pelham High School, and they decided there could be, it could be hilarious to change the letters around and say something very vulgar and profane about one of the teachers. They were the top three kids in the class, and there were a couple of others with them as well, and Kara should have been with them. She had been invited to be with them, but she chose not to that night. 
those top-of-the-class, smartest kids in the class were smart enough to know how to rearrange the letters and to say something very vulgar, but not smart enough to remember, there's a camera right there looking at you. <laughs> and the next day at graduation, the valedictorian is not on the platform to give her speech. The salutatorian is not there. The class essayist, number three, they're not there. They've been excluded. And Julie says to Kara, Honey, I am so glad you weren't with them. I don't know how I would cope if you couldn't have gone to graduation. And Kara, with a look of total astonishment, says, But Mom, if I was with them, they wouldn't have done it. If I was with them, they wouldn't have done it. Raise our kids to be impact players. Our grandkids, what are we teaching and training? Sometimes our dreams for our children are too small. We want them to get a, a career. We want them to get a good education. We want them to settle down, maybe even marry the right person. And those are all good, but that's not enough. If you want your children to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it will not happen by accident. You've got to sharpen them like arrows and make sure they're straight. Now, i got three important conclusions for you. Here's the first one. We need to honor our fathers and mothers and our grandparents and great-grandparents. I think that's it's there in Scripture. I'm just telling you what's there in Scripture. Uh, happy is the family where there is a godly heritage being passed down across the generations. Uh, Mike and Kim are always sitting over here, and I wanted to have them almost stand up this morning, but they're not here. Because, you know, a few weeks ago, Mike and Kim took a couple of their grandkids, took them down to Washington, D.C., took them out to Gettysburg. They spent time with them in hotel rooms. They spent time with them at other family places and tried to show them Jesus Christ. Yeah. Grandparents. Hey, Deb, do you have a bunch of grandkids living on your property now? Pretty close. Two daughters having built houses right on the same piece of land. And what an opportunity for a grandmother to begin to show something to grandkids. I'm talking about grandparents here because we are mostly grandparents in here this morning. Not exclusively, thank you, Lord, but there's an awful lot of us. Secondly, as a church, we need to invest time and resources for strengthening families. We did that last week. We spent a lot of money on that vacation Bible school and a lot more time than money. It's worth every minute and every dollar spent, spending it there. We are a church at the moment that has very few young couples in it. I'm going to get closer to your faces for this one, okay? We need to start investing the time and the money more now, even without the kids here, and start planning for more in the future. Julie and I were talking. She was mentioning something to me a week or so ago that I think fits here as just by way of example a little bit. Some of you who have been lifelong Nazarenes will recognize the name of Harmon Schmelzenbach. Uh, there are three of them, three of them that I know, but the first one, Harmon F., went to Africa, and I believe it was the year 1910. That was a few years ago. Harmon went there as a first Nazarene missionary into southern Africa, went into South Africa, went up to what was then, it was then Eswatini, became Swaziland, now it's Eswatini again. He had no converts for the longest time, but he kept working, kept working, kept working, kept working. But the great, you know the number one thing I think that Harmon did? 
This guy had a forward-thinking vision that was way beyond my vision. He went, and when he had, and this is in the 19-teens, when I guess he was going on foot or by ox cart or something or other, and he went to all of the surrounding countries, and he went a long way afield and got the Church of the Nazarene registered as a church in country after country after country. No pastors, no churches, but he got the church registered. By the 1950s, it became almost impossible to get any denomination registered so you could get a presence in so many countries. And in some of those countries, we had no churches, but it was already on the books that the Church of the Nazarene was registered to start. Uh, In case you don't know it, There are more Nazarenes in Africa than there are in the United States. Thank you, Harmon, for thinking forward. What are we doing here? Are we thinking forward? I pray that we are and always will be. Here's the third thing I want to say. We must continue to support our single parents, step parents, foster parents, adopted children, and those in blended families. We've got to support, support, support. Uh, We live in a world that downplays the value of childhood and causes kids to grow up too fast. Um, Again, watch out when you talk to Julie and I about this one because we both get irritated. We saw something on TV. Oh, we've seen it several times. But one of them in particular, uh, it was an interview with kindergartners. Kindergartners. So I guess they're five-year-olds. And the question that was being asked by the interviewer was this. This is the question. What are you going to do to prevent and change climate change? They're five. What kind of burdens are we putting on kids? I'm sorry, there's 27 other things I could say there, but I'm going to let it go. We can partner with the Lord Jesus Christ in the building of our homes. We need to partner together. We really do. We really, really do. I want to just begin to wrap this up now with these observations. First one is this. In Scripture it says this, May you live to see your grandchildren playing at your feet. That's a funny phrase that's in Scripture. I like the message the way that Peterson uh, paraphrases it, you know, that's that's it. May you love to see you playing at your feet. We've had grandchildren playing under our feet for the last two weeks. It's been a joy. I, I don't think there's anything that gives me any more joy in life right now than having my grandkids around. Hi, guys. Really, it it's, gives me joy. How do we treat our children, both the born and the unborn? I was in Home Depot earlier this week, picking up something, trying to find something here for the church, and uh, I couldn't find it, and so I found one of their associates there and asked if he would help me to find something. As we're walking down the, the front aisleway, uh, there was an extended family, like a grandfather, mother, and a couple of kids, 
And uh, as we passed, the associate and I and this group of people, the grandfather, I assume, said something to the four-year-old that was not kind. And the four-year-old screamed at the top of his lungs. As I am still walking with the associate, we kind of caught each other's eye, and I said, somebody's not having a good day, and it's not the four-year-old. It was the adult. I also wanted to say, what does um, Scripture say about that sort of thing? And it says this, do not use harmful words but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what's needed so that what you say will do good to those who hear you. That's in the home, and that's here at church, and it's when you're in Home Depot or wherever you might be. I wanted to use this as the repeal of Roe v. Wade as a backdrop to hear what the Bible says about children and about life. Not really talking about the repeal at all, but... The value of children is really where I wanted to go. God has a plan for each life, and I'm going to be talking about that next Sunday. I, I really, you know, those of you who have known me for years, when you hear me use the word I, a struggle, that's a good thing. Struggle isn't bad for me. Struggle is a good word. It's something I've been struggling with the message for next week. And uh, I really, I think I'll be, happy when we're done with it. Not happy that it's over, but happy that I've had the opportunity to share some thoughts with you. Um, God has a plan for every life, and uh, we're going to try to spread that out to somebody as old as my mother at 94. God has a plan. God has a plan. See where we are. In thinking about that, I pulled a book off my shelf this week. And then I found, I said, okay, Lord, I guess maybe you had a plan for me to pull this off. Because I started off by talking about 1973 and the uh, the institution of Roe v. Wade. And I'm sure some of you have read this book. We really do need each other. Um, Dr. Reuben Welch was the chaplain at uh, Pasadena College and then now Point Loma University in uh, San Diego. <clears throat> to the best of my knowledge, uh, Reuben is still alive. I think he's 97 or 98 years old. And uh, <clears throat> when I, boy, losing my voice here. When I was on that sabbatical in 2004, part of my plan was to spend some time with Reuben out in California and had that opportunity. And uh, it was a rich time, guys. We won't go there right now. But in this book, um, now there's so many good things. I want to put up one little piece because the phrase of the book, I took it off the shelf on purpose, we really do need each other. If we're thinking about kids and adults and life and where we're going with all of that. And so I brought up this piece that Reuben wrote partway into the book. I think I can put it this way, although I'm not sure the creed writers would have said it this way. Between Jesus and God, there is no gap. The other half of that is not so easy for people like you and me. Between Jesus and me, 
there is no gap. Of course, we look up to him, but in a deep and wonderful sense, we don't look up to him. We look straight across at him, not because we are exalted, but because he has come down all the way to meet us, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone, eyeball to eyeball. That is quintessential Reuben Welch. We look straight across. Let's pray. Lord, I know you love the children. And I know you love those of us who left childhood decades ago. I am thankful for the words that encouraged me this week from a 97, 98-year-old Reuben. The words that encouraged me from a former pastor of this church about being a mentor to a child. The words from the Bible that said that when you're a grandparent, a joy will be to have grandchildren at your feet. From the words, Lord, from the looks in people's eyes, from the encouragement I have received this week, I thank you. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help each one of us to be raising impact players, whether that's kids or grandkids, or great-grandchildren, or kids who have no relationship to us, and we would just mentor them in your name. Lord, I pray now your blessing on us as we go from here in just a very few moments, that you would encourage us to touch the kids around us and not discard them. For I bring these things in Christ's name. Amen.